Hey everybody, it's JP. Thanks again for joining us. Today we're going on a bit of a spice kick. We're going to be drinking Mott's Clamato Caesar Extra Spicy, some Butterum Ginger Beer from Australia, Ruffles Flamin' Hot Barbecue Flavor, and Peanut M&M's Mexican Jalapeno Flavor. So let's get started. Welcome to Junk Foodies, the podcast where we talk about the foods your parents said would spoil your appetite. Today, my guest is missing in action. <laughs> we were supposed to record this episode, but got hit by a winter storm like something out of Game of Thrones. So I'm going to do something different again today and just record a solo episode. You might have noticed that I have a bit of a question and answer period I do with my guests realize I haven't really answered those questions myself. So in a way, I'm going to interview myself um, without that hopefully sounding too crazy. So let's get right into it. For my drinks today, as I said at the top of the show, I've got a spicy Caesar from Mott's Clamato, extra spicy, and a Butterum Ginger Beer. So one alcoholic, one non-alcoholic, one sweet, one savory, both spicy in different ways. Let's start with the Mott's. So some fun facts here. The Bloody Caesar originate, originated in the city of Calgary, Canada in 1969. Uh, the bartender who created it went by the name of Walter Chell, and he was celebrating the opening of a new Italian restaurant. Although mixing vodka with tomato and clam goes back to the 50s, the element that makes it different is Worcestershire sauce and a combination of spices they add to it. Mr. Chell claimed he got his inspiration for the drink from Italy. He recalled that in Venice they served spaghetti alla vongola, spaghetti with tomato sauce and clams. He reasoned the mixture of clams and tomato sauce would make a good drink and mashed clams to form a nectar that he mixed with the other ingredients. According to Chell's granddaughter, his Italian ancestry led him to call the drink a Caesar, referring, of course, to the emperor. The longer name of Bloody Caesar, which I always assumed had to do with, well, the way Caesar exited stage right, is said to differentiate the drink from a Bloody Mary, but Chell said it was a regular patron at the bar who served as the inspiration. During the three months he spent working to perfect the drink, he had customers sample it and offer feedback. One regular customer, an Englishman, who often ordered the drink, said one day, Walter, that's a damn good Bloody Caesar. Apologies for the lack of an English accent there. So the drink in the glass looks like, well, tomato juice or like a Bloody Mary. No surprise there. It's certainly not a thin drink. Uh, seems like a fall or winter drink. I, I don't know that uh, I'd want something that looked quite this heavy in the summer, but uh, who knows, maybe. Uh, the aroma reminds me of tomato soup. So you've got that the sweetness of the tomato, but a little bit of savory in there as well. Um, maybe shrimp cocktail, if that makes sense. A bit of brininess and spiciness to it as well. In terms of taste, I'm getting the sweetness of tomato. Something tart. Lime or lemon, probably lime. I guess that's a traditional ingredient in the drink. Hits the back of your mouth with that tartness. 
umami notes, brininess without it being fishy. Kind of reminds me of gazpacho. There is some spice, although the fact that they call this extra spicy, I was expecting a little bit more. Might be Tabasco that I'm getting, some black pepper maybe. There's something vegetal about it. Celery salt, perhaps. All in all, it's actually a, quite a good drink. I was a little bit trepidatious picking this up. Um, I'm not a huge fan of tomato juice, but I have grown to like a drink in Mexico called an Ojo Rojo, or a Michelada, which is a beer mixed with tomato juice and lime, or sometimes Clamato juice and lime. And uh, the beer kind of lightens things up. I guess in this drink, the vodka is playing the role that the beer normally does in that drink. Uh, this one's a pretty good one. So if you get a chance to order a Bloody Caesar, give it a try, particularly if you're a fan of those more savory type drinks. Now, in terms of the questions, the first one I have today is, what is my drink of choice? Well, when it comes to junk food type drinks... I typically go for the sugar-free versions. And I know there's some people that if they're going to indulge in a soft drink, they're going to go full sugar. Um, and I used to drink a lot more diet than I do now, just because I've read things about artificial sugars, that they're actually worse in some cases than regular sugar. But hard for me to justify, for as infrequently as I do it, hard for me to justify drinking a full can of sugar water. Uh, when I can have an occasional can of something like Coke Zero. So that's probably my drink of choice uh, when it comes to you know, something to have with pizza or with a fast food meal. Um, just lounging around the house, I've really gotten into the sparkling waters, that, particularly the flavored ones, lime, cherry, lemon, etc. Because those you get a little flavor with, you get the fizz, which is nice. And you're not getting the calories and the sugar that, well... I probably get enough of from other sources. Any memory that I have that sticks out revolving around junk food. I talked in a previous episode about going to the Hershey's Chocolate Factory and um, witnessing that at a very young age. It's a very faint memory, although the smell still sticks with me and how magic it seemed that the smell of chocolate was in the air. But another one comes to mind, and that's... I was visiting cousins, and uh, again very young, and one of them took me to a convenience store. I'm going to guess it was a Circle K or a 7-Eleven or something like that, and brought me a candy bar. At home, we would occasionally get chocolates, but it wasn't a regular part of our growing up. I had a lot of brothers, and I think uh, buying us all candy probably would have been a big hit to the pocketbook. As well, I think my parents had suspicions about... Uh, feeding kids too many desserts, that kind of thing. So I had a very limited palate when it came to candy. And this chocolate bar that was brought to me, it's a Hershey's product, still available today, although this is decades ago, called Whatchamacallit. And to this day, it's probably my favorite candy bar, although it's very hard to get, so I don't have it very often. I might have it once a year um, if I happen to be down south visiting and come across a store where they sell it. But even in the States, it's not a an item you can find in every single store. In any case, if you haven't had it, it's a chocolate bar with kind of crispy rice inside and caramel. And um, 
that's basically it. For something being so simple, it just, I, I associate it, I just remember that first time having it. And I'm sitting in a hot car in California summer. It's melting in my hands. I take a bite out of it and I get the crunch of those layers of crispy rice. I get the sweetness and the chewiness of the caramel. Oh man, uh, mouth watering just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm sure I've had a very, very good candy bar since then, maybe even better ones, but that one's associated with my memories. So I always go back to it as my favorite. There's something nostalgic about it to me. What's my go-to snack between meals? Uh, these days it's probably nuts, pistachios, or almonds generally. Um, sometimes cheese. Um, I like to snack on veggies when possible because that's the kind of snack that doesn't add up on you too quickly. And I'm not above uh, eating a spoon of peanut butter straight out of the jar or with a little bit of celery or a slice of apple on the side. Finally, what's one item that you find inexplicably popular that you just can't stand? Huh. <laughs> Considering I wrote these questions, you'd think I would have an answer at the ready. And right now, my mind's drawing a little bit of a blank. Um... <laughs> We're gonna have to edit this part out. <laughs> I guess one thing that I find inexplicably popular is, well, I have to say black licorice. I know there are people who go crazy for it, but uh, that's one flavor that I never quite got into. Along with that, I would also say marshmallow peeps. I don't get it. Like, what do people find appealing about those? I'm going to eat an Easter candy. It's going to be a chocolate egg of some kind. Um, maybe those Whoppers, malted milk eggs, but Peeps? Someone's got to explain that to me. Anyway, moving on to the next drink. Butterum Ginger Beer from Australia. So, I'm looking at the color here, and it looks like it's kind of a pale oat color. Uh, looks cloudy. Maybe like a, a an unfiltered beer in some ways. Uh, on the nose, I'm getting crystallized ginger. Almost no fizz, very light uh, effervescent bubbles. I'm gonna take a sip here. Decent amount of spice, but not hot, not overly so. I'm getting some acid, not specifically any kind of citrus like lemon or lime, but just a bit of a acidity to it. Some pepperiness. Definitely lasts on the finish, so afterwards it sticks with you for a little while. It tastes like real ginger. It doesn't taste watered down like your regular popular ginger ale. Uh, without naming any specific names. This definitely tastes real. And almost, not in a negative way, but almost medicinal. So, yeah, I, I dig this. I could see it going really well with rum, or if you're making a Moscow Mule vodka. Uh, maybe even a, a rye whiskey. 
you know, not the really good stuff, but something you wouldn't mind mixing. I think this would go well. Bourbon, perhaps, for a highball. Let me tell you a little bit more about Butterum Ginger, though. They've been around since 1941. Their big break was uh, in World War II when the ginger supply was cut from China. Sales soared. So they were kind of the, the big ginger market in the South Pacific there. As a result, five farmers met and formed the Butterum Ginger Growers Cooperative Association Limited, which is a very long name. By 1989, they were listed on the stock exchange. By the 1990s, they'd earned global recognition for producing the world's finest ginger. And they're in over 17 countries today. Over 17 countries. I don't know why they don't just say 18 or 19. But anyway, over 17. Um, this is a, a really good drink. This is a non-alcoholic version. There are various flavors they have. One with pear, a reduced sugar version. I believe they have some alcoholic versions as well, but I didn't see any when I picked this one up. So all in all, not bad. Next up would be the Ruffles. So some fun facts about the Ruffles Flamin' Hot Barbecue. Frito-Lay has marketed Ruffles since 1961. They actually um, acquired the rights to, in 1958, from one Bernhardt Stommer. Regional flavors include Tapatio lemon, yakisoba, stroganoff, honey mustard, paprika, jalapeno popper, and poutine. The flavor All Dressed, which is very popular in Canada, came to the U.S. in 2016. It had been Canada's most popular flavor for years. So that's what's been going on with Ruffles. Now for this particular flavor of the Flamin' Hot Barbecue, it's a limited edition one, so get it while you can. The Ruffles website says the epic combination of barbecue and heat will take your taste buds on an adventure. Well, let's see about that. Full disclosure, I've had these before and I like them quite a bit, but <laughs> I was excited to share them with you guys. So the smell in the bag is like, um, like barbecue chips, but a little bit of heat there. Uh, you're getting, of course, that, that smell of potato chips or fried potatoes. Taste-wise, slightly sweet, followed by a heat that kind of reminds me of cayenne pepper. Um, some dried onion in the mix there. A little bit of ketchup-y kind of tomato. Maybe soy sauce. I'm getting like a kind of savory, again, umami flavor. Less briny than the um, umami from the Mott's. This is a really good chip. The heat sticks around, so it's not wimpy, but it's not so hot that you're not enjoying the flavor. And the sweetness is kind of nice. It's a really nice match. I feel like this would go really well with a beer. Now for my next set of questions. Are you a sweet or savory person? Well, I don't generally discriminate between things that taste good. I like it all, but I guess probably I lean more towards the sweet. That's where my weakness is. Uh, when you were growing up, what was your most common after-school snack? I might have talked about this already in the episode, the first episode I did with Sam. But I remember peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and chocolate milk were a mainstay of my after-school days. Favorite treat? Hmm. Well, I mentioned whatchamacallit. That's a big one. Uh, I'm a big fan of any English toffee, 
So Score, Heath, Almond Roca, those are addictive. Uh, I love that trail mix that has the like M&Ms in it or the off-brand M&Ms. Um, get a big bag of that at Costco, the Kirkland brand, and that's like crack. I could uh, easily go through that in a very short period of time, which is probably why I don't keep much in the house. Um, yeah, those are the, the few things that stick out as being favorites. Which, since we're talking about sweets, that uh, is a pretty good transition into our peanut M&M's Mexican jalapeno flavor. So, M&M's were introduced in 1941. They're the flagship product of the Mars Wrigley Confectionery Division of Mars, Inc. Sold in over 100 countries since 2005. More than 400 million are produced every day. They actually were originally created back in the 40s to allow soldiers to carry chocolate that wouldn't melt. So thus their slogan, melts in your mouth but not in your hand. That's how far back that goes. Uh, in 2019, the M&M's flavor vote cast three new versions. English toffee, Thai coconut, and Mexican jalapeno. The tasters or the consumers voted and English toffee won. Well, I love English toffee, so I've got nothing against that. So let's take a look at... M&M's, peanut M&M's, Mexican jalapeno. So they look like regular peanut M&M's. Uh, nothing different about the look. They just kind of smell like sweet candy shell, as I guess you would expect. Um, so flavor-wise, uh, it tastes like I'm getting the candy, the, the sweetness of the candy shell, uh, the peanut. And there's definitely a little bit of green jalapeno which might sound kind of weird in a candy, but I'm really digging it going along with the chocolates. You're getting the sweetness and the richness of the chocolate, the, the fattiness and the nuttiness of the peanut, and then the heat of the jalapeno. This is really nice. I maybe could have had a little bit more heat. Uh, it's pretty subtle. You almost, almost could eat a few of them before even realizing you weren't just eating a regular peanut M&M. But... Um, I give them props for trying something different and uh, expanding the boundaries of what they're doing beyond just peanut plain and peanut butter. Um, this is pretty good. The heat sticks around for a little while, kind of a reoccurring theme with everything I've had today. So I'm really digging this. If you like spicy and you like sweet, I don't know if you've had very much longer, because I think these are soon to be discontinued. I saw, I saw them on clearance earlier this week. But if you get a chance, certainly give them a try. That brings me to my last set of questions. Snack you like during or at the movies? Um, I am a big fan, going back to my sweet tooth, of caramel popcorn. So... I don't do this very often. I don't go to the movies very often, but sometimes when I go, I'll go to one of those caramel or um, one of those popcorn stores in the mall and get a grab bag of their caramel or English toffee or butter toffee or whatever. And um, to me, that's the best of both worlds. You're getting that, the saltiness of the popcorn, the sweetness of the toffee. It's just one rich treat. Um, generally speaking, though, I don't eat at the movies, uh, probably because I'm too impatient to stand in line and 
the sizes they give you tend to be so big that uh, it's way more than I could handle, which is, I guess, why I, when I do, I, I go and sneak food in, don't tell anybody. Um, favorite seasonal snacks? Definitely a fan of eggnog. I have yet to make it myself, and I'm told that homemade is way better than anything you buy in a carton at the store, so I'll have to give that a try one of these days. Um... Halloween candy, well, that's we're coming up on Halloween here in not too much time. That's uh, definitely something I like, probably because I can get away with fooling myself into, you know, it's just a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. And next thing I know, I've gone through about two pounds of it on Halloween night. I guess I have to train myself that my reptilian brain thinks, you know, load up. You, this may not happen again. And it's like, you know, candy is really abundant in our society. <laughs> I don't need to fill up on the one night of the year that I have access to it, unrestricted access. So maybe I'll do better this year. Uh, any odd combinations or snacks or treats you like that are unusual? Well, I talked about peanut butter and cheese with my brother Sam in the first episode. Uh, that's probably the strangest thing I like eating. Um... Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. And then if you were having a last meal, what snacks would be there? Well, last meal, that's, uh, I mean, you don't get to have them ever again. Well, I've already mentioned some of them, so I won't repeat the ones I've already said, but I think you know some of the ones that will definitely be there. Um, I would probably have some vanilla bean ice cream of a high quality, something like a uh, haagen or something of that nature. Um, some rice pudding. That might sound like an odd one, but that uh, brings back memories of childhood and is definitely something I enjoy and don't get very often. Um, in terms of savory, oh boy, well, you can't go wrong with a french fry. A really well done french fry with ketchup. To me, one of the best condiments. Not that that was a question, but just going to throw that in there. Yeah, I think that would probably cover me. And that's only the side items. I definitely would be giving myself a pretty epic meal to go out on as well. So hopefully that's not happening anytime soon. Okay, so that's the spicy episode. That covers all the questions and all the items. Now it just is up to me to give them a rating. So as a reminder, we do it on a scale of one to three stars. One is, I wouldn't pick this up again. Two, I definitely seek this out again. And three, oh my God, this is amazing and I want more now. So for the Mott's Clamato Extra Spicy Caesar, I think I'd seek this out again. I'm gonna give it a two stars. Uh, the Butterham Ginger, it was good. I have had spicier ginger beers, so I'm going to put it somewhere between one and two stars. Let's say one and three quarters. And the Flaming Hot Barbecue Ruffles, these are awesome. Definitely a three-star item for me. And uh, very good on their own, and I've tried them with various cream cheese or sour cream-based dips. They match up very well with that, too. Finally, the peanut M&M's Mexican jalapeno flavor. 
not bad. I liked it a lot. I liked the unexpected spiciness with the chocolate. Um, could have been maybe a little more spicy. Also would have been interesting to have them just... I'm wondering why they chose to put the peanut along with the jalapeno. Maybe they thought just the chocolate and the jalapeno, that they needed something else to kind of add an extra element, an extra layer there. But I would be curious about just the spice and the chocolate by itself without the richness and the nuttiness that the peanut brings. In any case, as it is right now, I would give the peanut M&M's Mexican jalapeno a two and a quarter stars. So that's it for our food ratings today. Let's go to our junk mail bag. As a reminder, our email is junkfoodiespod at gmail.com. You can also send comments to us at Twitter at junkfoodiespod. Today's email comes from Pip. Okay, Pip. <laughs> kind of like the uh, Dickens character in Great Expectations. Pip in Los Angeles says, enjoying the show so far, but I do find myself impatient to get to the end when you talk about the food. After all, it is the title. Well, thank you, Pip, for your comments, and please say hello to Mrs. Haversham for me. Um, as you can see today, I did kind of shift things a little bit, and I front-loaded the food reviews and sprinkled the questions throughout rather than starting with the questions and then going to the food. So I think you'll see more of that going forward. I do appreciate you sending your comments in, though, and not just tearing me a new one. After all, we're only on the third episode, and I think that, I hope anyway, that it's improving a little every time. Uh, maybe by about episode 10, we'll actually have something here that people will be excited to listen to week after week. In the meantime, I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I appreciate your patience, and I hope that you found this one-off episode of a single person talking about their food impressions uh, to be worth your time. We will be returning next week with a guest who uh, should be an interesting episode. I'll uh, leave it at that for now. Stay tuned on Twitter for hints on that. Until then, have a great day. Thanks again for joining us.